Well, if you uh, haven't done already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to our text, uh, Ephesians 2. Uh, this week, uh, we are continuing our little mini-series on community. Last week, we, we kind of wrapped up Matthew 10, uh, our, our series through uh, reality according to Jesus, and now we're talking about uh, community. And uh, there was a little glitch in our recording uh, equipment last week, so that, was, uh, <laughs> that, that didn't get recorded, um, which makes me sad inside, but uh, God can heal that. Um, so I want to do a, a little bit of a, a background on like why we're talking about community uh, here as a church. If I think about what I know of the history of our church, where our church is I think like 148 years old now uh, or something like that, and then especially the four years that I have been here as a church, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, I'm curious what God is doing, what story he's telling here, but I'm wondering if we are at... Uh, that terrifying stage that we that we come to in, a, in a, any house remodeling project. Uh, the first part of any remodeling project in a house, whether you're flipping it like you know completely or just you know doing a bathroom or kitchen or something, uh, the first thing you do is is demo day. Is you 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 scrape down all the popcorn ceilings and you rip up moldy carpet and and all, and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, you look at the foundation and you make repairs to the foundation. And then there's uh, at least in my experience, there's that terrifying moment where you have the demo done and it looks completely uninhabitable and you're like, how will we ever be able to shower in this place ever again? Like when it's ripped down to the studs. And and so I, I'm wondering as we look at our church, uh, when I was hired here, it was expressly for the sake of uh, pursuing revitalization for kind of a new season for our church. And I wonder if there's some parallel between revitalization and kind of like the, the remodeling thing and and so we, we've been through a lot of very difficult things. We've experienced a lot of uh, demo, if you will, of like removing things or working through things that were unhelpful to, to our, our church. And then uh, kind of drew the analogy of uh, two weeks ago when we adopted our new uh, constitution and confession of faith and membership covenant. It's kind of like doing foundation work. You know, we had some crumbly stuff there. We wanted to get it set and square and solid. Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering and I'm hopeful that here we sit as a church family uh, kind of in that scary spot of like, oh my goodness, what is going to happen next? Uh, but also where we, we kind of have a solid foundation and we have some space and some unity to, to move forward as a, as a church family. And pastorally, when I think about moving forward, uh, the way to kind of build up on the studs and the, and the foundation of our, of our church house or whatever is, is to really press in to uh, the sense of community, to understand what scripture says about community in reference to the church, the local church, and pursue it, uh, pursue it together. Um, as far as I can tell, pastorally, community is the, the way forward for us. It, it will be the thing that determines the, the, the future of, of our church, at least from our end. Uh, the degree to which we as a church family can embrace community according to scripture, not according to Josh or, you know, whatever, the hipster churches that are all about community or whatever, but community according to scripture. Um, God can and will do what he pleases uh, in us and through us, but I firmly believe that community will be a way that moves us forward. You see this uh, in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes and institutes the church. Uh, it, it describes what the church does as a church family. And it's all this community. They're devoted to, to the word and to each other and to sharing things and breaking bread together. And it said God added to their number daily those who were being saved. And, and just it's been such a curious thing for me coming to Big Rapids where I've had 
uh, what to me feels like remarkable traction with non-Christians, people who don't yet follow Jesus in our community. Even seen some of them get saved, but it's been such a bizarre thing because it feels a little hamstrung because there's not necessarily like this healthy, vibrant community to bring them into to where they can now join with other devoted disciples and follow Jesus. And so it's just been, I've just been so so curious and a little bit confused, like seeing seeing some fruit, seeing people respond to the gospel. Uh, but then as we've like worked through this hard stuff together as a church, you know, it's been scary and kind of overwhelming and people who claim to worship and love the same Jesus that they just came to know acting very, very differently than, than what they, what, what seems like would be the, would be the case. And when I think about the history of the church and just what I experienced when I first got here, uh, I think true biblical community uh, has yet to be seen, has yet to be experienced here. Not that we ever necessarily arrive, you know, we're all sinful and broken or, or whatever, but maybe even hasn't been the goal, you know, hasn't even been the point uh, or the focus uh, of the church. And you forgive me if that's too, too harsh, uh, but since I came here, you know, like right when I came here, I had people shamelessly, you know, badmouth other people in the church or shamelessly say like, yeah, I don't sit on that side of the auditorium because that person's there. Shamelessly just boast about a grudge that they've held for for decades or lie about one another or just refuse to be to share what they need you know should to refuse to be vulnerable or be quick to leave if there was any kind of bumpy road and and while that's heartbreakingly tragic to me uh, uh, I think we're at a very different place now and it also makes me so excited to think about now that a lot of that negative stuff has been removed uh, what, what, what might we be able to do as, at a season of unprecedented like-mindedness as a church family here at First Baptist? You know, we voted on our documents and got 100% uh, acceptance. And so what, what could happen with this level of unity? What could happen if we all together uh, have the same goal of living out biblical community, try to live out those one another commands together that we just read through? How remarkable if, if we viewed our, our actual primary work uh, to, to love God and to, to love his people. Just think about like our world where everybody's so frazzled and self-absorbed and can't listen to another person to save their lives because they're always talking or tweeting or whatever. Uh, you know, and, and then we can be a people where we bear each other's burdens and we speak the truth in love and we make allowances for one another's faults and we forgive each other as Christ forgave us. So today, my, my hope is just to do a kind of a survey, a drive-by of the biblical picture of community, of church community in particular, because community is a popular word. You know, you got the CrossFit community, you have the LGBTQ community, you have, you know, I don't know, kite flying communities. You know, you have people that are kind of like communities around all kinds of, of different things, but we're talking about specifically biblical community in the church uh, according to God's, God's picture. When it comes to describing the church, describing what the community is like, the Bible is just this beautiful explosion of metaphors. Like there's multiple parallel necessary metaphors that the Bible gives us for understanding what the biblical picture of church community is because it's so profound and deep and broad and nuanced. And so we're just going to look at three of them today, kind of the three main ones uh, that show us powerfully how the church is the place where the triune presence of God is displayed and experienced on the earth. The church is the place where the triune presence of God 
is experienced and displayed on the earth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We spent a lot of time talking about the Trinity as the foundation for community uh, last week, uh, which is lost to history forever. Maybe I'll just preach it again uh, in a couple weeks or something like that. Uh, but we're going to look at how the church is the Father's family, it's Christ's body, and the Holy Spirit's temple. And we're going to uh, just do a kind of a survey of those, and I want to frame our discussion around uh, a couple ideas here. First, you'll notice that uh, these three metaphors that are from Scripture, like this is not me being you know, witty and coming up with cool analogies. Like This is just straight from the Word of God that we'll see. They, they stem, these metaphors stem directly from the persons of the Trinity. The, the, the foundation of church community is the Trinity, is the God of the universe. We can only thrive in robust community as humans because God himself, as the creator of everything, exists in robust community within himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the center of all reality, of everything that exists in, on earth and in the universe, is the triune God who himself lives in perfect, loving community. And out of that love within God flows everything. So that's the first idea, the Trinitarian reality of community. This isn't just like something that like hippies are doing on the East Coast or whatever because they're lonely. Like this is like core to reality of the God of the universe. Second, uh, we have to see that the overarching metaphor, all of the metaphors are, are kind of like uh, connected to the reality that the church is people. It's not necessarily a place or a building or an event or a program, it's people. You, won't, you don't go to church, you are the church. And the third framing idea is that you need, uh, uh, is, is that all of these metaphors get put into practice locally. When we talk about community, uh, we're talking about uh, the local church because the church exists kind of in two forms. You have the universal church, which is like all Jesus followers of, from all time, you know, the last 2,000 years in all places. That's a, that is a reality, but when we're talking about community, we're talking about the local church. That's where these metaphors get put into practice. The definition of community, according to uh, the dictionary, is a group of people with a common characteristic or interest living together within a larger society. A group of people with a common characteristic or interest living together. So, like, right there, that, that shows us that, like, location matters, like being together matters, the locality of a church matters. We can, of course, have friends that live other places or, you know, whatever, like, you know, we, we have phones and FaceTime and whatnot, uh, but when we talk about biblical community, it's referring to people covenanted together in a specific place and time. And all of these metaphors that are just mind-blowing, the family, body, and temple, uh, it's crazy because it they enter into reality just like at a, at, at, a, at a space, at a square footage, like a place on earth, you know, Big Rapids or Macosta County or, or wherever. And then the fourth is that this is a vision sermon. Like, I, I hope to uh, kind of, by the power of the Spirit, that all of our hearts would be warmed and encouraged and excited to pursue this together. This isn't, this isn't like, hey, you have to go make this happen. Um, and I also want to acknowledge that, like, if you've, you know, been in church at all, you've probably been hurt by the church, and it might stir up bitterness as you realize the gap between what you've experienced in real life and what the Bible describes being the goal or the vision. And so I just want to acknowledge that there's space for pain, there's space for anger, 
and in the cross of Christ there's space for healing. Well, what we do stems from who we are, uh, and so we, the, which is an identity idea. Like what what we do as a church stems from who we are as a church. So we're going to talk about. Uh, what identity each of these metaphor gives us and how we live them out. So I made a chart, if you flip, uh, I think on the other side of the notes, uh, I made a chart to kind of track uh, these metaphors since it is kind of a survey um, where we kind of can move from the metaphor to what it means to how it meets human needs that God gave us to be met uh, and then how the one another commands uh, allow us to live it out and then practically what we can do, what practice do we do to live these out because again just the mind-blowing thing is that these metaphors uh, are experienced and lived out like with real people in a real place in real time and space so let's jump in uh, the first metaphor here is the father's family the church community is the father's family the, the the two aspects of this meaning of this metaphor is that Jesus followers living in community they experience uh, relational intimacy with each other like a family, and then a shared identity as a family. Tribalism is a bit of a buzzword out there in our socio-political cultural moment as we experience kind of more fracturing and hostility and conflict in the political sphere. And the draw of tribalism is that it's, it's a, within our broader you know, United States or whatever, it's a way for humans to revert to the primary way that I that we were meant to live as like a village, as an extended family. Uh, in a, in a, there's a sense of belonging, like you could, even if it's like a, you know, a terrible tribe or something like that, there's a place uh, where you belong in a village. And, uh, in a family you belong by birth. Like you get the benefits, the privileges, and relationships of a family by birth regardless of your performance. You don't like apply for a family or you know, have to try out to make the cut. And then there's identity. There's that, who am I? I am my father's son. And when we think about identity and family, I, I wonder if we, that might, we might struggle to get traction with that because uh, our family ties maybe aren't as like, strong in the identity sense cause we, as they have been historically in human history because you know, we're individuals and you know, all the, like, you know, the movies show someone like getting out. You know, he doesn't want his dad's company. He wants to do his own thing. Or he doesn't wanna, she doesn't want to marry who you know, her family wants her, to, wants her to marry. Like, those are good things in our culture. But think about, like, when you think about a tribe or your family being your identity, think about, like, CrossFitters, you know, or, like, vegans or something like that, you know, because you can't talk to them for, like, two minutes without coming up, like, yeah, I CrossFit this morning or, or, you know, or whatever, talking about some vegan documentary or something. Because uh, they're part of that community, and it's kind of like their identity. They're like, you know, I am Josh, and I, I do this, or I eat like this. And turn with me to our sermon text where we, we see this father, fatherly reality. It's Ephesians 2, uh, verses 18. It's on page uh, 1819 in uh, the Pew Bible if you want to follow along. Paul writes, writes for us here. Uh, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And he just got done with you know, like a chapter and a half or almost two chapters of explaining the gospel and the theological and doctrinal reality of the gospel, that we can have life with God under the rule of God because we're adopted into his family through the work of Jesus by grace. And then from there, he gets into this description of the church. And look what he says in verse 18. 
For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We even see a me- metaphor we're not going to get there with like citizens and uh, fellow citizens and God's, God's people, but we are members of God's household. We have access to the Father by one Spirit. And to be clear, this is what Jesus himself, as a member of the Trinity, what he calls God the Father. We become co-heirs with God, uh, as, or co-heirs with Jesus as sons of God. And you just think about Jesus' identity playing out when you read the Gospels. Like, he's unflappable. He's unmoved by criticism. He's never anxious. Why? Because his identity, his sense of belonging is, is so, and love is so nestled into uh, to God's family that he doesn't care. Who cares what someone says about me? Who cares what they can do to me? Because my father knows the hairs on my head. The community of God's people is God's family on earth where humans are meant to experience the deepest love and belonging that they can experience. Why? Because it's based on the gospel. The deepest love and, and belonging that humans can experience on the earth is meant to be in the community of God's people in a local church because it flows from the love and belonging that we have in the gospel. This is one of Jesus' most radical ideas that we, that we tend to, to brush over a, a little bit. And some scholars say this is one of the main reasons why he got killed because it was even more radical in his day and age. Flip with me over to Matthew 12. Matthew 12, verse 46. This is page 1516 in the Pew Bible, if you're following along. It's super important to me that we see that this isn't Josh's idea. It's not like hipster Josh trying to like develop community, but we're, I really want us to see this come straight from both uh, Paul and Jesus all throughout Scripture. Matthew 12, verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That is intense. And what we see here is kind of the reality of adoption. You know, Lord willing, Camille and I would like to adopt someday. And if we adopt a child and I become his or her father, what is true of that child and its relationship with Johnny and Ruby? Like, they're siblings now. Like, they're brothers and sisters. Like, when we have God as our father, we now have siblings in the family of God. And this, in Jesus' day and age, would have been so mind-blowing because back then, family wasn't like the people you eat turkey with on Thanksgiving or, you know, cake on your birthday or something. Like, family was like your, your organizing structure. It probably would have been your job, like where you made your living and where you lived. And Jesus is saying, like, no, my disciples are my true family. We're moving to the right on our chart uh, under the Father's family category. The human need that is met is love and belonging. It's not because we're perfect. It's not because the church family is perfect, God help us. But it's because it's founded on the the grace of God and the cross of Christ. Just like imagine, or maybe you've experienced this, like how much, how much belonging do you feel 
when someone sees you're ugly but moves towards you but loves you anyways? How do you feel when you admit that you were wrong and ask for forgiveness and somebody looks at you with love and says, I forgive you? Or how do you feel when someone who's hurt you repents in humility and tenderness and asks for your forgiveness and even asks for help to change? This is beautiful, intimate, deeply belonging experiences that can be made available uniquely because of the blood of Jesus, because of the, the, the grace that we have in the gospel. There's many a family that has a strong family, like biological family, has a strong identity, but, you know, haven't heard the parents say they were sorry, you know, in their entire lives or, or whatever. This is why the church community can be even more deeply loving and have a more tender sense of belonging because it's based on Christ where we love each other no matter what in light of the ugly. The one another command uh, that made the chart is from Romans 12.10. Paul writes uh, to the church in, in Rome, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And that makes sense from a, a family standpoint. We understand family devotions like being devoted to our family. And Paul uses that same idea for the people of God. Devoted means sticking with it, showing up, prioritizing. And that's why the, the way we practice the identity of, of the father's family is by showing up, by spending time together, just like literally being in the same place with each other as our church family in our Sunday gatherings and our connecting group. And then just throughout the week, we can shop together and watch each other's kids and do projects together and watch movies together and celebrate life events together. Like there's just that devoted to one another where we're just together as a church family. Family is just not an abstract metaphor. Like it's not something that, you know, it takes a lot of imagination. We live with our families. We work, play, rest, cry, laugh, love, tolerate each other. And within a and the invitation to us is to show up, to like participate and the family of God here at First Baptist Church. The next analogy is uh, that we see community according, according to Scripture is that it is Christ's body. Flip with me to 1 Corinthians 12, page 1785, uh, if you're following along. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse uh, 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were made, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. The body metaphor is mind-blowing and really profound. Uh, and the meaning is just like to draw the direct parallel is that just like a body, we are mutually dependent on each other. Look at verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an ear, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. We're mutually dependent on each other because we are in Christ. And just like a body, each part has a role to play. First, mutually, independent, mutually dependent to each other. How does that make you feel? 
Like, what, what does the thought of being dependent on other humans make you feel? I think maybe for a lot of us, this is like, you know, heck no, not me. I, I got my life in order. I don't depend on anyone or anything. But as a thought exercise, what do we depend on in our culture? I think it's money. This is just something for you to chew and pray about. Like, we replace our relationships and our mutual interdependence with money because we have insurance and alarm systems and stuff and, you know, TV or insurance policies or whatever. And the metaphor powerfully shows the reality of God's community of people because what can the brain do without the heart? Like, the brain may be the most important, you know, organ, I would think. We're ranking them, but, like, it, it is just, like, gray goo without the heart and the lungs. What can the hand do apart from the skin? The crazy thing about our culture uh, in this dependence is that we're also so frazzled and busy and stressed and overwhelmed, but then we like resist getting any support or help from others at all costs because we don't want to be dependent. It's like this, this vicious cycle. We see God designed us to be dependent. We know this because of the Trinity. Where within the Trinity, within the Godhead, there's interdependence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we join him in his dependency by depending on him and his people. Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel anxious? You were never meant to handle life alone. Or even just within our nuclear families, we were never meant to just handle it. So it takes this, this idea of a village to be a human, not just raise kids. But then there's also the error on the other side where some of us are super good at being dependent. Like, oh yeah, I'll be a body part. Like, I'll be the one, I'll be the gallbladder who does nothing. Or not the you can yeah. The gallbladder does some things, but yeah, I'll be the gallbladder that, you know, just take it or leave it, but I'll uh, take resources. Maybe uh, if an organ or limb refuses to participate, it kinda be the whole body will be dragged down. In my old neighborhood, there, we had a neighbor, a really sweet guy who had a stroke, so all one side of his body uh, was, was weak and kind of dragged along. And this guy was real healthy and took it seriously. But you see him walking almost every morning, and he's just dragging his, his foot and his arm. And he can't smile all the way because he just kind of has, has this dead, dead weight that was droopy and weak. And I think many churches are like stroke victims. Where we just have a few body parts trying to drag the body along, and we have all these droopy, dragging body parts kind of flopping all over the place. Don't, you got to hear both sides, right? Like we can fall off the horse either way. Like we can be hyper-dependent and be like, well, I'm going to be the body part that does everything all the time. And we can also have the floppy arms that don't do anything. Like we, we, we can't err on, on either side. It'd be worth knowing, how are you wired? Are you hyper-independent and deny your God-given dependence? Or are you the floppy arm or leg? And there are two human needs here. There's support and significance. And it's interesting when we think about human needs I think this uh, fits in with the two major epidemics we have, depression and anxiety in our culture. Depression stems from meaninglessness. And we see, it, that we see in, this, in the church that no one is meaningless. No, no one is extraneous. Everyone has a part to play. Everybody is needed. And anxiety comes from isolation, from limited trusting relationships where we feel we feel alone we feel like it's all on us and we don't have the support that we need and we see that these needs that our whole culture is like flailing about and medicating to try to fix 
uh, is met in the community of Jesus followers. I put two one another commands there in the chart if you're following along for Christ's body. Uh, bear one another's burdens and, and serve one another. We bear burdens, it means uh, we're, we're in the context where people are sinning or they're just kind of off in their life, like they're, like they're struggling. And we step into their lives the way Jesus stepped into our lives and bore our burdens. Like we let, not that we atone for them, uh, Jesus did that, but we're willing to get messy caring for sinful people by bearing their burdens. Maybe some, someone has financial issues because of sin in their life that led to bad financial decisions. Like we don't say like, well, you know, that's, your, that's your prerogative. Like we, we bear those burdens. And then we also serve one another. We actually make space in our lives for others to inconvenience us. Like think of the Good Samaritan. Like he put his money on the line, his time on the line. He was late to where he was going. And then this is huge for us, I think, in our church, is we let others serve us. I'm like so weary as a pastor hearing about people's like frazzled anxiety in their lives and being like, well, how could we help? And like, oh, it's fine, I, you know, I got it or, 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 or whatever. That's pride. That's refusing God's design for his people, letting people help you ask for things. And of course, you know, if you're asked, you can say no. You don't have to say yes or whatever. But one of the ways that we show the world the reality of Jesus is how we serve and allow ourselves to be served within the body of Christ. And for most of you, uh, this is my challenge to you. Ask for help this week. Ask for help from someone in the church family this week. I'm not saying they'll for sure say yes. I'm just saying, like, the practice of asking for help is a way that we can step in to this reality of being Christ's body. And a lot of you are already doing this, but I just want to affirm that, like, serving on Sundays is a way that we, that, that we are the body together, uh, whether it's like music or kids or we just kind of launched our little welcome team making coffee and straightening up and here and stuff. Like, all those are ways that we can serve one another and make, and make, our, make our space hospi- hospitable. It might seem small, you know, it might, you're like, you know, do you realize what I've done in my life? And you want me to come and straighten up Bibles in this tiny little room? Uh, but, you know, as Mother Teresa says, like, small things done with great love uh, is, is available to all of us. The last metaphor Scripture gives us is the temple. Uh, turn back to Ephesians 2, our sermon text. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are the spirit's temple and this temple metaphor is really mind-blowing, according to Scripture, because a huge percentage of the Old Testament is all about the temple. But it's about like how to make it and all these crazy details and how much gold and precious stones and who could make it and who couldn't and who could go where and which part of the temple at what time of year. It was like this really, really big deal. And that was because the temple in the Old Testament was where God's presence actually Dwell. Of course, he's omnipresent, like that was still real, but it was in the Holy of Holies. There was a literal geographical spot where the presence of God 
dwell on the earth and humans could enter into it. Not very often, not very many of them, but it was there on a place on the earth. And it was holy, it was set apart. Amongst other things, holy means that unique, uh, holy designated to a purpose. Like we love coffee too much in our house and so we have this like part of our, our counter that's just like the coffee zone. You know, we have like four different brewing methods or whatever and, it, and it's all covered in coffee grounds. Like it's set apart because we love coffee. It's wholly devoted to coffee. There's that, that aspect going on with, with God's people, with the church. Flip over to First Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Second Corinthians 12. If you're tired of flipping, I can read it to you. But I just want to see how clearly and how how clearly this is in Scripture and how intimate it is. Second Corinthians six. Sorry if I said something different just then. Second Corinthians six, verse sixteen. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Do you hear the extravagant goodness of this? The almighty God of the universe, who exists in perfect self-sufficient love throughout all eternity, past, present, and future, uh, is going to be with us. And is no longer in Jerusalem at this like, really fancy building, it's now in the gathered people of God. It was talking about the local church, the local place where the presence of the Almighty God dwells is, is in us together. And Jesus says it like this. He's where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. It's because Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit, and so when we're together, we can experience the presence of God together. Looking at our church, and this is the ultimate human need, uh, is where the presence of God can be experienced. Every human heart is longing for the presence of God, whether, whether he or she knows it. Every, any sin, any behavior is ultimately an attempt to meet a need that only God can meet, which is why we need each other and why the world needs the church. If you still have your finger in 2 Corinthians 12, look at verse 17. Uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 6. Look at verse 17. Therefore, come out of them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And we see the, the aspect of the temple. It was set apart. It was holy. It was different. And so one of the ways that we, uh, we live out uh, our identity um, as, as the Holy Spirit's temple is that we're wholly set apart. Like we come out of the world like we're different, you know, like... Does God ever feel distant to you? Do you ever feel a struggle with that sense of loneliness that my prayers are hitting the ceiling? Then consider the degree to which you're living in fellowship with God's people and that uh, together with God's people, uh, the life is different. Like you are holy and set apart. We're, like we're, The holy has a lot of baggage, I think, in our, in our day and age. You know, I know I grew up in a place where I'm kind of scoffing at that word. Uh, because it just kind of meant like holy rollers or whatever, but like the Bible's really clear that to follow Jesus is to be dramatically different, dramatically set apart, unique, holy, holy focused on following Jesus and living with God's people. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, the two one another's for you to chew on is speak to one another. 
uh, speak to speak to one another in truth and love. But I just cut off the the other part because I think we got to start by actually speaking to one another. Uh, like there's there is value in you as a Holy Spirit filled Jesus follower opening your mouth to a brother and sister, even if you say something wrong. That gives you a chance to apologize and repent. And then look at the next one, 1 John 4. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Perfect love casts out fear, and anyone who fears has not been perfected, completed in love. How do we get completed in love? By loving one another, because that's how God lives in us and how we experience his presence. Is fear an issue? Do you struggle with fear and anxiety? Consider the degree to which you're living in the love of the Holy Spirit's temple, the, the other saints. The speaking the truth in love, the speak up with the good news, is, is something that I have a, a renewed, uh, or kind of, yeah, a, re a renewed passion for. I was, uh, the, earlier this year, I experienced where uh, someone who was, I think was just really full of the Holy Spirit, he laid hands on me and just saw me and spoke over me. Uh, and it wasn't anything like, you know, go buy this lottery ticket number or something like that. He just, he was affirming so many things. And this, this is the most loved I felt by God, uh, maybe my whole life, as he was just seeing me and speaking the truth uh, of the gospel to me. He called out things that I was feeling convicted of already. And I felt like God saw me and he, and he just affirmed that God was working in my life and I was asking him about this because it's kind of like it was kind of like his thing uh, that he he would just like wake up in the middle of the night with someone on his heart and he'd like text them and they you know they'd just be like tears or you know he'd be he'd be in like church and he would do that and he's like and he said uh, it's like I see that person the way God does and I'm in love with that person and he, and he like lays hands and he just speaks these truths of scripture. He speaks what God has put on his heart. And it's, it's a beautiful way that we, that we can feel, uh, feel loved by, uh, by God through one another. And think about, think about the confidence, the identity that we have to have uh, in our Father to A, like touch each other, and B, say something that might be right, might be wrong, uh, to, to be secure enough in our own self to where we can take our eyes off of our problems and our feelings and our emotions and our job and our family and our kids and, like, see someone. We can see them the way God does and let the Spirit sp speak through us. Another way that we embody this uh, practically is we share our hearts with one another. Like, uh, one of the... In that example I just shared where this guy laid hands on me and, and spoke over me, it was in response to a, uh, something that I prayed, that I kind of confessed in prayer in this small group. And, and so when you share, when you're weak and when you're vulnerable, uh, what you see in the people of God filled with the Spirit is that they move towards you. They move towards you with the good news of the gospel. They move towards you with grace, affirming what is true according to Scripture. Be willing to be wrong. Be willing to, to ask questions. And then we listen with expectancy. Like, the truth of Scripture is that our fellow brothers and sisters have the living God inside of them. Our bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when someone is seeking to speak to us, not saying that they're inerrant or, you know, we don't need Scripture or anything like that, it's we listen with expectancy. We listen with hope, with openness. Like, what might God be saying to me? And one of the, the beautiful things of how God works in his, like, humbling fatherly discipline 
is that a lot of times it's the people you like the least <laughs> that will say something that you can't get out of your head. <clears throat> and then if you're faithful and kind of humble to it, God will break you and be like, dang, that person was right. What was how God uses people to speak to us and to, to break us. To close up, I hope this is beautiful to you. This is just a drive-by. We could spend entire sermon series in each of these metaphors. But there's an invitation to us here as a church family where, as we're seeking to be revitalized, as we're seeking to live out the Bible's description of the church. And also, there's space to acknowledge that this has not been the experience of most of us and that there might be some bitterness and anger, anger out there. There might be wounds coming up of where the opposite of this was dealt to you or where people tried to do some of these one another's and did them poorly or did them not in necessarily a spirit of love and you have baggage from that but we can be honest about that and we can be honest with the fact that we will fall short as we pursue this that's why we need jesus to be our cornerstone christ died for the church to wash her with the water of the word to to make her clean to remove her blemishes and this happens when we as a church family we center ourselves on him we press in trusting our cornerstone in his word the way that we trust jesus the way that we trust believe in the gospel is that we live it out together in community and where does this start it starts with you if you're waiting for someone to initiate or you're waiting well no one ever asked me for help or no nobody ever offers to help me that means god is saying you need to do it you need to initiate. You need to share. You need to open up. You need to ask for help. You need to offer help. Take, just take the next step, whatever God is laying on your heart. Maybe that means becoming a Christian, trusting in Jesus, trusting in the cornerstone for the first time. Maybe it means just coming back to our, our worship gathering next Sunday or trying out our connecting group on Tuesday night. Uh, maybe it means just like reaching out to someone to ask you to help like cut down a tree or I don't know, vacuum the house or something like that. Or maybe do something fun. Start with something easy and fun. But just take one next step with an open heart, a humble heart, saying, I desire to live in biblical community. Holy Spirit, would you do that through me? Let me pray.